We are working through the Gospel of Luke, uh, Luke rather, and we are in uh, Luke chapter 12 today. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 12. Uh, if you don't, I apologize. The ones in the pews have already been pulled out for the move today. Um, but as you head that way, we'll be reading there. And I just kind of want to set this up a little bit because if, on some level, if we're honest with ourselves, we as, as human beings are, are generally fearful people. Uh, particularly as, as Christians here in the United States in this era, we're, we tend to be fearful of an American culture that tends to be less and, and less influenced by Christianity than it has been in the past. I, I know that we often feel just kind of that, that hit of anxiety that comes over us when, when Chick-fil-A stops supporting FCA and uh, Salvation Army, right? For some reason, that makes us anxious. Our hearts are fretful when we read about Joshua Harris, who seems like just the most recent famous Christian pastor to be leaving the faith or sinning in some spectacular way that makes the national news even outside of the church, right? We can get afraid sometimes when we see presidential candidates promising to take away tax exemption from any true, true, true churches. And it can feel like just the foundations are crumbling under our feet when we look at the world around us. And so I want to remind you this morning, even before we read the passage where Christ is going here, I want to remind you that Jesus, our Savior, entered a world that, that into a culture that was hostile against him and hostile against his culture, against his disciples. Furthermore, our eternal hope is, is not contingent upon some restaurant's giving policies or, or, or the faithfulness of famous pastors or even government perks of any sort. Our hope is in Jesus Christ, period. And so today in our, our passage, we're going to see these, these three short statements uh, that are warnings of Jesus for his disciples, not just the 12 apostles, right? All his disciples uh, that he's speaking to and, and this mixed group. And, and, he, and he's teaching them and he's teaching us then, right? How to live in a culture that is less than encouraging to their faith. Uh, and, and we're going to read it in three sections today and probably move fairly quick through it. Sorry, is everything else is wheels off today. Even this pulpit is at the wrong spot. <laughs> there we go. Um, we're going to read it in three sections. If I could go back, to be honest, I would have split this up differently to spend more time. And that's the reason we're going to have to move through this so quickly today. Um, so theme just wheels off today. So Luke 12, we're going to read the first section first, just the first three verses of Luke 12. Follow along as I read out loud. In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another... He, this is Jesus. He began to say to his disciples first, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And whatever you have, have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, enlighten our minds and our hearts this morning so that we might understand your word, that we might receive it as your word. May we find comfort in the knowledge, Lord, that you truly know us, our sin and all, and you have loved us and redeemed us in Christ if we are redeemed. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so 
thousands show up, right? Jesus has been there teaching and suddenly these thousands of people show up. And and what does Jesus do in this moment? And I I love this because I don't know that we tend to respond the same way. Thousands of people show up wanting to hear. Uh, We're probably going to be celebrating the size of the gathering, right? Look at all those people. Success, isn't this wonderful? And and Jesus doesn't even acknowledge, not even a little bit, right? He he goes right into teaching his disciples what they need to know. He goes right into encouraging them with with what they need to know. And the first thing that's a concern for Jesus here is is not what the Pharisees might do to the bodies of his disciples, right? Which which is a real threat to them. But but his concern is what they might do to the souls of his disciples. And right, right off the bat, he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Do you all know what leaven is? Right? Not leaven worth. That's different. Uh, leaven's like yeast we use today, right? It's a, it's a living fungus of sorts, actually. That might not encourage you to eat the bread today. Uh, but a living fungus of sorts, it actually causes the bread to rise. And Jesus is here using this idea of leaven as an illustration because leaven is something that, that they were so familiar with, something that is this tiny little thing and yet spreads to the entire dough so that the entirety of it is, is uh, well, it's a helpful thing in bread, but he's using it in the sense of, of being uh, infected, diseased in that sense. And so Jesus' warning here is that if, if we're not careful, if his disciples are not careful, we're going to end up just like the Pharisees, just as, as hypocritical as they are. And remember, hypocrisy, right? We talked about this last week. Uh, Hypocrisy is that gap between your your outward appearance of holiness, what you want people to think about you, and and the inward reality of what your life really looks like in those private moments when when, when people, like how you really live, if we we knew everything in your thought and and followed you around for a day, right? And, And since hypocrisy is about hiding the truth, Jesus goes on then to explain that nothing, nothing stays hidden forever. And he illustrates it here, right, with a few different ways. And one of them, that the only one I think you might struggle to understand is the one when he says, what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed from the housetops. Housetops. You see, houses in that day were, were built from these mud bricks, right? Cheap building equipment, but, but not real secure. And so if you were to put your valuables against one of the outer walls, someone could literally dig through your wall and steal your valuables. And for that reason, they actually built in these houses uh, a room somewhere in the center section of the house that had a big gap between an outside wall. And, and that was where your valuables would go. Now, a side effect of that was that this little room was also the most private place in the house. You ever lived in an apartment, you know you can sometimes hear what your neighbors are doing uh, right through the walls. And so uh, the idea here is that, that if you're having some private conversation, if there were secrets going on, they're being spoken in that private room so that no one can overhear them. Uh, and Jesus is saying here then that, that secrets that are whispered in those rooms would one day be shouted from the rooftops for everyone to hear. And again, they lived on their rooftops. They would go out there and use them. And so everything spoken was was heard by your neighbors there. That was the most public place to be. Simple point is is secrets come out, right? Now, I'm an Astros fan, if you didn't know that. Uh, You you might have even noticed when my Bible needed recovering, I was like Doc Brown and decided, you know what? I should do it in style. Uh, And it's covered in Astros colors, in case you were wondering why it's so weird. Some days I regret that. Um... (laughs) hard to look real serious when your Bible looks like that. 
Uh, I will say this, though, about being an Astros fan. I have watched a, a cheating scheme recently. Maybe you missed it. Probably not. Uh, that was whispered by our players three years ago in, in private rooms. And, and I have seen it be shouted from the rooftops now, or, or what we call rooftops, right? Twitter and Facebook and every news channel uh, and, and media outlet on the planet. And it's this interesting thing to see that, that here's, you know, um, it, it kind of comes back to this point that any, any hidden sin is, is often exposed, right? And I know you might be thinking, well, it doesn't all get exposed. Some things people actually get away with and, and no one knows. And, and that's the thing. In this life, most things come to light. But, but even if not in this life, Jesus' point here is that every secret you have is going to be laid bare at the final judgment. Every secret you have. You know, it's just as, as we learn in Ecclesiastes 12, 14, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing. You understand what this means? Like, really, I, I, it kind of can be creepy or scary to think about this at times, but, but every swell of pride, every stolen item, every dishonest word you've spoken, every cheated exam you took part in, every angry insult, abusive act, lustful thought, whisper of gossip, gossip, every sin that you have managed to hide from those around you and uh, you know, others around you will come to light. It'll be like standing naked before the Lord with nothing to cover yourself with. It all comes to light. Anyone else find that absolutely terrifying when you first think about that? Terrifying. I mean, this is, this is one of those truths then that, that when the Holy Spirit is at work in us, it, it graciously drives us to the gospel. It graciously drives us to Christ, to, to confession to the Lord, right? In real confession. You know the difference? Real confession, not that not that half hearted kind of confession you you probably experience or maybe you watch a child do to, you know, interacting with his mother when he's he's totally, you know, uh, engaged in something else, focus, a video game, a book, whatever it might be. Uh, and meanwhile, there's, you know, I know, mom, I know, mom, I'm sorry, mom. And, and there's really no no contritement. There's no real, <clears throat> real confession going on at all. You see, when when we truly grasp the reality that every one of our sins is an offense against God and every one of our sins will be revealed. For forgiveness of that sin becomes our deepest longing. Just to know that, that it's forgiven. Proverbs 28, 13, we, we learn these wise words. It says, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. And that's just a shadow pointing forward to, to where that mercy is found in the gospel, found in Christ. And, and so you see, the, the only way that we can stand unashamed before God, completely laid bare, is, is to know that he already knows our sin. He already knows it. And he's forgiven it through Christ when our faith is in him. Namely, Christ's sacrifice on the cross. And so then the question arises, right? How, how do we fight then this temptation as he's teaching his disciples, this temptation to be hypocritical or, or pharisaical hypocrisy of hiding our sin, right? Of, of trying to pretend. And, and the first thing we've kind of already touched on, but we, we need to be honest with God to, to genuinely confess, confess our sin and to, and to do so often. That, that's why it's part of our liturgy. 
Right? I know if you're not familiar with it, I wasn't familiar with it when I first was, went to a church where that existed. It was weird. Why are we confessing our sin? And I, I've grown to absolutely love it because it's this built-in time because we want to be doing it all week long. But I know that every Sunday there, there's this time to come in and, and confess our sin. Our kids recently, um, it's not my notes, but our kids recently uh, decided to label the guys who lead the service and, and how much sin they have on the basis of how long they actually give you to confess silently during the, the liturgy. And I, I believe Travis came out as uh, that he was the shortest. And the reason they said was he must have the least sin. And uh, Sam has the most sin because Sam <coughs> has the longest time of silence. And so if you haven't noticed the last two weeks since I shared it with our guys, uh, Tim has been extending his just to make sure they, <laughs> they understand how much sin Tim has maybe, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little afraid of what kind of competition we have going now. Uh, so, so being honest with God, though, right, to go and confess our, our sin to the Lord. And, and the second thing, though, is to be honest with each other. And that doesn't mean you've just got to confess all your sin to everyone. You know, to just walk down the street shouting it from the, the, the rooftops. But, but do you have brothers or sisters in Christ that you can be honest with, that you can tell them your sin? That, you know, and, and that really means, and this is where it becomes a big deal, it means that you, you begin to care less about your reputation. Because that's why we won't admit it to anyone. You care less about your reputation and care more about growing into the person that Christ longs for us to become. He longs to make us. And so are you, are you willing to go to a fellow Christian and, and, and say simply, you know, here, here's what I'm struggling with, right? To lay yourself bare in that sense. Here's what I'm struggling with. Can, can you help me? Can you pray with me and for me? Can, can, you, can you help keep me accountable with this? And to, to lay it out there, right? To, to be honest in that way. Now, we, we also have to... Uh, we also have to, need to have a proper sense of, of what fear is. And, and that's what our next section is. If you've still got your Bibles open, uh, I want you to just follow along. Let's just read what it says here. Luke uh, chapter 12, verse 4, and we'll pick up there. Jesus is still speaking. He says, I, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do. But I'll warn you whom to fear. Fear him. Who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. For are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. You see the word fear used in that way in, in two different ways. And, and that's because fear is a lot like cholesterol, actually. Um, in the sense of this, just like cholesterol has good cholesterol and bad cholesterol, there is actually good fear and, and bad fear. Some obvious examples of that might be, you know, fear of what your peers think of you is a, is a bad fear to have. Um, on the other hand, fear of driving 150 miles an hour down Anderson Avenue on the wrong side of the road or, or fear of the officer who is certainly going to arrest you, that's, that's a good kind of fear, right? It's, it's good to have those kind of fears. And Jesus here then is, is directs us to, to consider this question of, of, you know, who do we fear? And, and the big thing here is who do you fear? Because in, inevitably, you are going to obey whoever you fear. That's who you're going to obey. That's who you're enslaved to in some sense. That's who you're committed to. 
And, and, and as we think about this, right, these, these two ideas of fear, you, you might even think of them in, in terms of a, a scale, right? That the fear of God on, on one side and, and what's often called the fear of man on the other side. Because if you have one, you're, you're losing the other. It's going to work that way. And so every thought that we have, every decision we make is, is driven either by a fear of God or a fear of man. Right? And you can use that to actually evaluate some of the things you're doing at times, decisions you're making. What's, what's driving me here? Is it, is it fear of, of man in this moment or is it a fear of, of my Lord? And so Jesus is warning uh, to his disciples here, and including us, is that we need to fear man less and we need to fear God more. And so he's saying, don't, don't be afraid of those who at the very worst, the worst they can do is kill you. And I imagine that probably seemed weird to them like it does us. We, we tend to think, you know, that's kind of the worst thing that can happen, Jesus. That's, that's a good fear, right? That's a normal fear. You, you see, Jesus is really, really doing something radical here. Jesus is teaching us that to have an eternal perspective, something we don't come about naturally, but something that we can have when, when the Holy Spirit's at work in us, to have this eternal perspective. He, he's showing us that when we die in this life, we live on. Souls do not die. They do not die. And that means there's something that is greater than death that we should fear. Do you see his answer there in verse 5? If you look at your text in front of you. Fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. And did you notice the bookends of that phrase there? Fear him on, on, on both sides of that. That's to emphasize that, that everything in between here, right? That's, that's to drive home that who we should fear. Right, and, and, and it's a, here's the thing, uh, as a child, who, who'd you fear more? Some random woman that you see in the grocery store who might correct you from something, or, uh, or, or when, you're, when you've done something wrong, or do you fear your mother when you've done something wrong? Am I, I'm the only one who feared my mother, or, right? Why, because that's my mom, she has authority to kill me, she told me, right? I brought you into this world, I can take you out of this world. Right. So that, that's humorous. But 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 the case here is real. Right. About authority. That's the same idea. Jesus is here saying to, you know, fear the one who has authority to cast you into hell. Who's he talking about? Not not Satan. Satan doesn't have authority to do that. Hell is not the kingdom of Satan that he somehow reigns over. It's 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 eternal prison for him. That's what it is. And so Jesus is talking about God. Only God has authority to cast us into hell. You see, that's his point. Don't, don't fear men. The only thing they can do is kill you. And he's serious about that. That's all they can do. Instead, he's saying fear God. J.C. Ryle says this. He says that the fear of man is one of the greatest obstacles which stands between the soul in heaven. In our, our culture, we are, we're not typically afraid someone's going to kill you for your faith. I mean, any of you, you know, in class tomorrow or, or work tomorrow worried someone's going to be like, oh, he's a Christian or she's a Christian, I'm going to kill them? It's just, it's not on our radar, right? And, and so it's not like that. But think about what it looks like for us. We, we still have this fear. It's, it's not for our life in the, the same way the, the disciples have it. But for us, right, that typically, if you really want to get down to it, to just 
you know, bring it down to what it is. It's this. It's a fear of what will they think of me? What are they going to think of me? What are they going to think of me if they know I believe that salvation is through Jesus? What are they going to think about my views of other religions? What, what would they think of me if, if, if they know that I believe God created the world? Right? Intellectually, what are they going to think of me? What would they think of me if they know that my ethics are, are shaped by the scriptures? That I really believe this, this thing we call the Bible? What, what are they going to think of me? When Laura, my, my wife, was a student at Texas A&M, she was in this human sexuality class, and it was one of those massive classes. I assume K-State had some where it's the, the auditorium kind of shaped thing with a lot of people in them. <clears throat> and the professor had them uh, stand up at one time, and uh, you do this all by an app, so you can be anonymous now, but before cell phones, smartphones, you had to actually walk to one side of the room or the other side of the room, and that would kind of give you an idea of this is the views of everyone's. Uh, and so everyone knew that. And so over and over, they were asking these, these questions about sexual ethics. And, and Laura found herself, and using a tiny group, at times it was just her and, and one other girl, um, Beth Moore's daughter, if you know who that is. Uh, anyway, o- over and over again, just the two of them are on one side of this, this ethics class, standing on the side of biblical ethics. And, and, and you can only imagine, right? That, that feels a little weird. It just does. If you're going to, to follow the Lord, you've you got to get used to this. You're going to feel a little weird at times. You're going to be a little weird in those moments. And that's okay. That's okay. That's where you need to be. Kevin DeYoung warns us when he says this. He says, even as Christians, our, our conscience can become defiled. We, we can get all mixed up so that we fear offending others more than we fear offending God. That brings us right back to this, this point of Christ here, right? That the temptation to fear others is to be expected. That's not what makes you weird. Everyone feels that. The, the fact that you can walk into that and, and still, you know, stand with the Lord confidently. That's, that's what makes you weird. That's what's unique. That's... That's what we need the Spirit to, to work in us for. And that's why fearing God is the only cure to our, our paralyzing fear of man. It's the only cure. St. Basil of Caesarea, or St. Basil the Great, he's called it sometimes. He is uh, one of my favorite dead people ever. Uh, you do have a list of your favorite dead people, right? Uh, anyway, he is one of my favorites. He, he once encouraged a group of Christians to fear God and not man by telling him this. He said, young men, as Christians, we believe that this human life is not supremely valuable. Yes, it's valuable. It's a gift of God. It's incredibly valuable. But it's not supremely valuable. You see, listen, when, when we can grasp our eternal nature, that, that death is not the end. If we truly grasp that, when we get our heads around that in the day-to-day life, our, our whole lives begin to be radically different, right? It, it becomes so much easier to, be, to, to give to someone or something generously. That the massive list that some of us keep of things that might kill me, right? Weird, weird diseases or things you see in the news or whatever it might be, right? That, that begins to be silenced and the, and the fear of that is, is lessened and... and, and Fades. When, when, when we have a renewed boldness for, you know, sharing the gospel as a result of this, right? The, the, the peace that we experience even in the midst of suffering, when we just have this simple eternal perspective of our lives and, and can hold on to that reality. 
Now, it's worth noting in this section that our fear of God is not the same as our fear of, of man. Right? You don't just switch it over and it's the exact same thing. Uh, fear of God fills us with, with reverence. Oh, and a sense of God's majesty, right? Like, like the psalmist writes in Psalm 33, 8, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. And those two lines, they're, they're parallels ultimately, right? Fear and awe of Him go together. Sinclair Ferguson describes the fear Jesus is talking about this way. He says, as that indefinable mixture of reverence and pleasure and joy and, and awe that, which fills our hearts when we realize who God is and what he has done for us. Godly fear is, is quite freeing. Also, the, the, the Scottish soldier, Colonel Gardner, uh, once wrote home, he said this, I fear God and therefore there is no one else that I need to fear. Put it that simple. So let me make this personal then. Who do you fear? We all know the right answer. But, but who do we fear? And you, you probably can't even answer that straight, right? It it's, depends on when, who, what time, how tired I am. It could be a hundred different things, right? But, but how might that look in our life? What, what would our scale look like? The, the fear of God and the fear of man. What, what might that look like in our life? You know, how do we know? Well, are, are you living with an eternal perspective? That's, that's one way. Is your use of money and time and your entertainment choice, choices, are those influenced by the fact that you know that you're, you're a child of God, influenced by the fact that you know that death will come, but your life will go on forever? Are, are you quick to repent because you know that your sin is an offense against the Lord God Almighty? Do, do, do you aim to obey the Lord? Is that your aim in life? I, I, I've been doing the Bible through the year thing uh, that we started in, in the beginning of the year. Well, that's how it works, right? Um, and it had me in Exodus this past week. And I was intrigued by this story in Exodus 1 where uh, the Pharaoh, right, the, the king of Egypt, the most feared man in all of Egypt, commands these Jewish midwives, I, I want you to kill the, the baby boys that are born, right? There's too many of these, uh, these Hebrews, these Jewish people, and, and it's telling them, kill all the, first, or all the male babies. And, and then we're told in Exodus 1.17 here, but the midwives feared God. And did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male, male children live. And so they have that sense of it doesn't matter how dangerous the Pharaoh might be. We're seeking to obey the Lord even in this moment. Um, and so do you aim to obey God? Particularly, right, even at the start of our, our walk with the Lord, when it comes to his call for us to trust our place, our trust in Jesus for the redemption of our sin. You know, may we grow to reverently fear the Lord. I'll give you one more story, then we'll move on to the next section. Um, th during the English Reformation, there was this man named John Hopper. Uh, and he was a, a Protestant, and he was threatened by the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, it basically went like this. We are going to kill you because you believe and you are teaching this idea of justification by faith alone. Right. One of the primary things of the of, of the Protestant Reformation. And, and when the Roman Catholic official uh, came to him and said, we'll, we'll, we'll let you live. But you have to recant of that, meaning you have to take it back. You have to go the other direction. You have to ignore everything you're seeing in Scripture in this regard. And, and, and Hooper responds to this. It's beautiful. He says, life is sweet and death is bitter. But eternal life is more sweet and eternal death is more bitter. 
He feared God, not man. And they burned him to death. Man was put to death for this, but his soul is good and well in the presence of the Lord Jesus today. That, that's the eternal perspective. Right? That's the only way a, a man like that can say, you know what? I don't want to be burned. I'm sure it was a terrifying idea, but I fear the Lord more than I fear you. I fear more for my soul than, than I fear what you can do to my body. And so while a proper fear of God here is emphasized by reverence and awe, our, our commitment to, to not fear, as we see in verse 7, right? Um, this is emphasized by a lack of worry, of anxiety, of concern on, on the basis of God's providential care for his people. He, he tells about these five sparrows, right? They're, they're worth about uh, what equates to an hour's worth of labor in, in this time, the time of Christ, right, in their economy. And in Kansas, that means uh, something like $7.25. That's our minimum wage. It could mean twice that next year, apparently, but that's something else. So uh, imagine... Any animal that you could probably buy five of right now for $7.25. And I was racking my brain. Crickets, minnows, what, pinky mice? Uh, there's not a whole lot there, but, but you kind of get the idea. These are not real valuable animals. We're not talking about anything real valuable. And, and at the heart, all Jesus is doing here is he's setting up this from the lesser to the greater argument. And it goes like this. If, if God cares about something as invaluable as a sparrow, Right? Because he does provide for everything that sparrow needs in life. If he cares about something that invaluable, how much more must God care about you who are incredibly valuable? And to further illustrate, he, he goes on to say, or Jesus goes on to say, why even the hairs of your head are all numbered. That's how deeply the Lord knows you. And I know some of you, as you get up in age, are thinking that's not real impressive Right? A first grader could number the hairs of my head. Uh, I know every single year I'm less and less impressed by that statement. Um, but, but the reality is that the average person has 100,000 hairs upon their head. 100,000. And they're saying God knows you in such detail that he can tell you what that number is. And so while God has authority then to cast a soul into hell, he also cares so dearly for your soul, your, 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 your whole body as well. I don't want to give the idea of some, some sense of division there, ultimately. Um, but in the wisdom of the Trinity, he's devised a plan that at great cost to himself on, on how he can save your soul from the punishment that we justly deserve for our sin. Right? Hell. And namely, Jesus upon the cross. That's the plan. May, you know, may, may we look at this. May, may we, the words of Jesus here then teach us that, that God's hand is in everything in your life. And he cares for you. And, and you need to remember that when things aren't going so great in your life, that, that God has some purpose for, for why this or that has actually happened to you. Uh, our, our own Bill Boyce uh, shared a story in men's group not long ago that has just stuck with me ever since he, he shared it. While taking a load of, of hay, I believe it's hay or alfalfa. Well, I should know this. You are a hay farmer, but you sh ship alfalfa. So I don't know how to make sense of that. Anyway, they're, they're going through this big city and their diesel truck and, and the truck breaks down in the traffic of city traffic. When you all know how frustrating that can be. And Bill said he's frustrated at the situation. And his wife, Christy, looks over, over at him and says, I wonder what God's up to here. You're weird. <laughs> and I want to be that weird. 
That, that we can so trust God's care for us that, that when something terrible like that's happening, you're asking that question, I wonder what God's up to here. Wow, right? And, and so let us trust that God cares for us. He has purpose for even the little things that happen in our life. And so then we come to our last section, right? Because while it's comforting to know that God cares for us in this life, it's even more comforting to know that he, he is for us in the life to come. And for that reason, Jesus has this to say. You can follow along in verse 8 there in front of you in your Bible. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So there's three distinct things going on here. We're going to take them one at a time. Uh, the first one deals with our loyalty to Jesus. Um, you know, ask yourself, am I, am I ashamed of people knowing that I'm a Christian? Not just like some people knowing, but all the people you know, right? Do, do your peers know just how totally committed you are to Jesus? And, and are you okay with that if, if that's indeed your story, right? Even if it means being ridiculed in some way, even if it means you, you kind of can, you know, see how they're going to look down on you in some way for this. Uh, as a, a new believer in the, in the mid 90s, really kind of navigating this in the public school system, I remember there were times in people that I thought, I do not want them to know I'm a Christian. Right. I just want them to keep treating me like they did before and everything. Going. I kind of wanted to go under uh, the radar around some of these people. And, and, and I was greatly encouraged at the time as I was struggling through uh, that idea of, of my not wanting to fully associate with Jesus. Uh, of all places, actually, DC Talks song. Anyone know what I'm going to say? Nobody. Jesus freak. I don't know. Someone over here said Jesus freak. Right. The, the opening lyrics ask this question. What will people do, uh, think when they hear that I'm a Jesus freak? What will people do when they find out it's true? And that song later culminates with this line. And this is the one that was such a something to hold on to in those, those early years of, of coming to faith. Uh, it says, I, I don't really care if they label me a Jesus freak. There ain't no disguising the truth. Parents, play that song for your kids today. Right. It's an oldie, but a goodie. Jesus here then is, is making clear that if you have genuine faith, right, then you're, you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you're going to confess our faith in Jesus in every sphere of life. Right. That, that's what he's saying. The, the idea then of, of being acknowledged or denied that he's talking about before angels here. The idea is angels are going to be present at, at the final judgment. And he's, and he's saying that you're either with me or, or you're against me in this sense. Right. No, no matter the cost and the consequences, brothers and sisters, let us acknowledge Christ, our Lord, as Christ, our Lord, always. And I know I, I, we've seen some weighty questions already. Let me just throw one more at you. Um, do uh, evaluate your life. Right. Jesus is speaking to this mixed company. Uh, we, it says his disciples, but we know that. That some of them might just kind of be following him. And as he's speaking to this group, right, we want to be able to ask this question. Do I, do I acknowledge Jesus or do I deny Jesus? 
What's reality here? And there's hope here, right? Because if you conclude that, that you are denying Jesus in your life, be, be ever so thankful that there is air, there is you know, oxygen in your lungs right now and conviction in your heart right now. And, and you know you can confess this to God. You know you can repent of this. And, and you'll find rest in the truth that God and that Christ will certainly forgive you. Absolutely. And so then verse 10 here is one of the most debated passages of all time. Uh, I'm giving just a short answer. We could spend forever on this one, honestly. Uh, it, it is a hard thing to make sense out of, and I qualify it that way. Um, but to speak against the Son of Man, against Jesus, that's what that's a reference to, is, is to reject him in some sense of ignorance, un- unknownness, right? Like, like the soldiers when, when Jesus is on the cross, and, and, and that's why Jesus says in Luke 23, 20, 34, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. There's some ignorance of what they're doing here. Uh, On the other hand, from from parallel passages, we begin to see that uh, this sin is when someone, you know, intellectually, when all the evidence is there to to show that Jesus is the Christ, that that Jesus is the divine son of God, that he is uh, a member of the Trinity, divine himself, and, and that his works are the work of the Holy Spirit, the works of God. And knowing all that, then to attribute that work to to Satan. That's the immediate context in the other two instances of this in the gospel is someone seeing him work and saying, oh, that's he does it by Satan. Uh, Philip Riken here says this, the blood of Christ is sufficient for any sinner who truly repents, even a sinner who on occasion has denied the name of Christ. But if instead of believing the gospel, a sinner stubbornly persists in rejecting Jesus and even calling him the devil, how can he be forgiven? Because you can't do that if you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, let me put you at ease here. I know when I first read this, uh, again, back in high school time, my fear was, what if I commit this sin? And it was this terrifying thing, especially since no one could define it real well. And, and, and some people define it in things completely unconnected from, uh, from this. And it was this fearful thing. What if I do that? Nobody who is afraid of committing this sin, nobody who cares about this at all is even capable of committing this. But what I mean is, is the only way you could commit this is if you just do not care at all, right? There's no one who's going to come to Christ and ask for forgiveness and be told, well, sorry, you committed the the unforgivable sin here, right? Um, That's not going to happen. And so if you, you know, care about Christ, if you care about your sin, then you haven't committed it, rest assured. And so then Jesus knows his disciples are going to have to defend their faith. And many of his disciples are not intellectual giants, right? They're, they're fishermen and they're tax collectors. These are, these are not the, the upper escalon of intellectuals here. And, 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 and so the question is, you know, how are they going to defend the faith against lawyers and, and Jewish and Roman leaders and these people that are far superior in that sense to them? And so then this last section is, is, confirms that Jesus' disciples will be filled with the Holy Spirit, Right? And the Holy Spirit will give them the words to speak when needed. And he's looking forward, right? Because they're not filled with the Holy Spirit yet. That'll come later um, at Pentecost. And, and so, yes, when, when brought before courts like Peter at the Sanhedrin in Acts 4, uh, 8, right? That's one of these instances where we see the Holy Spirit actually gives them the words to say. Or, or like Paul, which seems like all the time in his life. Uh, like Martin Luther at the Diet of Worms or, or numerous missionaries. There's so many stories of, uh, of people, even like uh, Hopper that we talked about earlier. 
right? That where the words are given to them in, in these moments to defend the faith, to, to stand boldly for, for the Lord. But, but also know this, it's, it's not only in those instances, right? No, the Holy Spirit will, will give us the words to speak. You and me, when, when, we, when the need arises to talk about Jesus to someone who doesn't know him. I know it's common. I, I hear from enough of you, right, that there's this terrifying sense. If I have to talk to someone about Jesus, I don't know what to say. I need cards, something to like lay this out for me. What do I say, right? And it doesn't mean, though, that we're not going to prepare just because the Holy Spirit's going to give us the words to say, right? First Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason of the, the hope that's in you, right? Be prepared. That is something we do want to do. That's good. But, but don't worry if you don't know a whole bunch of Bible verses memorized. Don't, don't worry if you're fearful. They're going to ask you questions you don't know, right? That you can't answer. That's okay if you can't. And if you need to, you can be confident, uh, you know, that, 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 that we can speak about what we know about Christ. And, and the Holy Spirit will not only give us the words we need in this moment, but the Holy Spirit will be at work in the people that we are speaking to. And so then this completes this massive section. I tried to go fast. I feel like it's been long, but uh, here, here's what we've seen here, right? In these 12 verses, we've seen. Um, we, we've been warned to not be hypocrites like the Pharisees because we could easily become that. We, we've seen every secret will be brought to light like the Astros. Uh, we've learned to, to have a proper reverential fear of God and to have no fear of man. We've learned that God cares about sparrows and he cares so much more about you who are his children. We, we've learned to be bold in our love and our commitment for G, to Jesus. And here at the end, we, we've been told the words we need will be provided by the Holy Spirit. So may the, the seed of, of God's word here that we've just been working through sprout up on our lives and, and be fruitful in our lives. That's, that's my hope for us. Uh, let us pray. Almighty God, fear is such a nuanced word. Help us to fear you in the way that you intend us to fear you. And, and may that fear drive out all other fears that seek to take up residence in our hearts. And Lord, we thank you here for the many years that you've, you've granted us to gather in this, this building owned by First Christian Church, to gather in this room and to worship you. Lord, we ask you to please continue to bless us as we come together next week to continue to worship you at the Wareham. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.